Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Now this is very exciting for me. I've never preached before. I was telling Mark that the last time I was in youth group in 2001. Um, I'm used to singing, I'm used to shouting, come on! But uh, this is going to be a first, and it's, a, it's just an amazing opportunity. Um, so I'm Bunty. My wife, Palace, and I moved to Cape Town about end of 2016. And it's been quite a, an amazing journey, just a, a journey of restoration. I, I'm an electrical engineer in alternative energy, so I deal with batteries and renewable energy. And uh, my wife is a chef. And um, over the past two years, God has taken us on a journey of restoration that we weren't even aware that we needed. Um, I've been born again or gave my life to God in June of 1997, so it's been a bit of a, a while. Um, God completely arrested my heart. I've served passionately in ministries in Zambia. I was born in Zambia and moved to Namibia. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm Ugandan by descent, so my parents um, lived there as well, served in ministries there, uh, and now in South Africa. And I mean, God really took me from a space. He took me from a space of complete desperation to... There's only Jesus. Um, and it's funny, that hasn't changed, but over the years, what has changed is that there's a, almost a skepticism that has entered my heart, um, not towards God, but towards his church. You know, um, I used to have this mantra, people are people, we all have our issues. If God can use a donkey to speak, then he can also use me and you. And that mantra changed to... People are people. We all have our issues. God can use a donkey, so we're all donkeys. Um, <laughs> and that was the space that I was in when we came to Life Changes. I promise you, I attended this church for six months. But I was working at the Twelve Apostles every weekend. So I was coming by myself. I'd sit at the back and watch, almost like looking out. What do I recognize here as a sign that, yeah, this, I'm going to be hurt? Uh, and it wasn't a, a while before I started to notice that this... There's something different about this church. The first thing that hit me was that the man of God wore skinny jeans, tuckies, and a t-shirt with polka dots on it. <laughs> and the second thing uh, that hit me was that we are really intentional about people. I mean, Shay and John, if I were to tell you the stories about them, we are, we are here because of them. In all that skepticism, we are here because of Shea and Jonah. And it's not just them. It's just a continual intentionality about reaching that two years in, slowly restoring the faith that I have in God's church. Because how can I say I trust God if I don't trust his body that he uses to establish his will on this earth? It's not that it's perfect, but it's, there's a transparency and an honesty and a a realness and a willingness to deal with all the poop. Like, really, let's not be shy about it. Let's sort out all the issues. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I have Ephesians chapter 6 on my heart this evening uh, about the arm of God. It's a scripture that I've heard year in, year out, and it's only recently that I've realized that I don't actually understand what it means. In our life group, uh, Brendan Ritfeld sent out a small video, a short video on the armor of God. So I'm now watching this video and I'm thinking, Exe, I don't know what this is about. Like I thought I knew, but I don't. 
and it just opened it up for me, and I'd really like to share along those lines this evening and also give a bit of context uh, to help just navigate that scripture and show how my view was and how it is now. So let's dig in. So if we could put the scripture up, Ephesians 6 from verse 10. Let's read, finally be strong in the Lord and his, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that, you may, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth, belt of truth, buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery darts or the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now before we dissect and look a bit, let's start with context. Let's look at chapter 1. A wise man once said, when I say wise man, I mean Rory Dyer. When I say once, I mean Wednesday when I was trying to prepare for this. <laughs> he said, look at the frame look at the bracket so now you're talking about chapter six arm of god what's the context all of that start from verse one what what is it that you're trying to protect um so let's start like that there's a couple of things to note about ephesians in general the first unlike a lot of the other letters that paul wrote he's not dealing or trying to address any particular heresy he's not trying to deal with the issue he's not trying to challenge a church around a specific issue he's actually trying to expand the minds of his readers trying to Make them understand the greater purpose that is intended in this whole mission. So that's the one thing. And he talks about the climax of God's purpose. Chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. And it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God, in, the, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And this is it. To put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's the ultimate purpose of God. That through God's redemptive work, to bring all things in the universe together under Christ. Ultimate purpose. Then it goes on to break it down. We touched on the chapter. Actually, Mark just read from it now. But there's three steps that he took to break it down. The first is reconcile God to man, the individual. Chapters 2, verse uh, uh, 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So ultimate purpose, all of universe together under Christ. Step one, reconcile God to the individual man. Step two, reconcile man, men to each other. Chapter 2, 11 to 22. He's breaking down the barriers through his death. It talks about the Jew and the Gentile and bringing them together. Um, it talks about those who are far away who are, have been brought near by the, the blood of Christ. Verse 19, 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So, ultimate purpose, all of the universe, everything under Jesus as one. Step one, reconcile, reconcile man to God. Step two, reconcile men to each other. Step three, God wishes to use the church to make his manifold wisdom known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's amazing. Sure. Chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This Christian life, each of us, each individual that is here for a span, a generation, two, each Christian life has an impact, not just on this plane, but through all of eternity, through all the realms, through heaven, there's beings, authorities that God is using us as an example to express his wisdom to. So again, from the top, universe, all together under Christ, step one. Reconcile God to man. Step two, reconcile men to each other. Step three, use this body, the church, to make God's wisdom, manifold wisdom, known to all of existence. That's the framework that we're dealing with. Now, the only problem with that is that this amazing, beautiful, redemptive picture gets lived out day to day on earth. With all of the drama, all of the issues, all of the challenges, this magnificent picture, you wake up in the morning on a Monday, go to work, and have to live it out. So in that context, there's a picture of what is intended and the steps to get there. And two, there's a strategic tool that we have in place to live out this journey. Speaking of strategy, the strategies and tactics that are employed both for us and against us, we are continually engaged in warfare. Ephesians, again, 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 2 Corinthians 10 verse, 10, uh, 10 verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, in all of this, that tool is a strategic tool that allows us to stand. It allows us to live out this redemptive picture that is being painted for all of heaven. That's an amazing thing. So let's delve into it. So um, again, the first part of Ephesians 6, uh, that verse from 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. I'd like to dwell there just for a couple of seconds to stand. You know, when you look at the definition of um, military strategy, it is as much to do with diminishing your opponent's ability to fight as it is to do with diminishing your opponent's will to fight. It, by definition, the practice of reducing an adversary's physical capacity and willingness to fight and continuing to do so until one's aim is achieved. And lastly, it takes place both in wartime and in peace. So just a bit of context that we'll go into now. 
It is about diminishing ability and will. And it takes place both in wartime and in peacetime. Will, there's so much in history from wars to sports where a change of will was the change in the tide. There was a time that Gabe spoke about Winston Churchill and how the whole world was crumbling against this Adolf Hitler. And one man stood up and had nothing behind him but will. I see it all the time and I'm, I'm an Arsenal supporter. I understand very much about what will means. <laughs> you, you'll see a match, uh, Liverpool versus Arsenal. First five minutes, Arsenal scores, playing beautifully. Arsenal's football is one of the best. It's just amazing, beautiful to watch. First five minutes, they score. 13th minute, Liverpool scores, 1-1. Now the game can go in any direction, back and forth. You're seeing amazing chances on both sides. It's like tight, could go anywhere. Arsenal could have three by now. 75th minute, Liverpool scores the second goal. Now, <laughs> Liverpool scores the second goal, 75th minute. Now they're trying. You can see the defense is starting to panic. Things are starting to set in. 87th minute, third goal comes. The team crumbles. Between the 87th minute and the 93rd, end of stoppage time, four, five, six, even seven. <laughs> There's so many examples of where it changed. And it's happened to me. I mean, Something at work happened uh, the, the week before last on the Thursday. It almost like hit, I'm doing, pushing hard, marketing, trying to bring this new product to light. Something happens and it's almost like, pfft, something lets the air out of you. You think of David, when David came back and they'd found, they'd ransacked the whole place, taken everyone. And now they're talking about stoning him and it says he encouraged himself. That's a, that's a changing of the tide. So the will is important. And there's two ways that you can look at the armor of God that can either increase your will to stand after you've done everything to stand or sap your will to stand. And there's a way that I looked at it previously that had the focus on myself and that drained my energy to stand. And there's a way that you could look at it that has the focus on Jesus gives you the ability to stand. I'd like to touch on those. So I'm going to contrast a couple of, of interpretations. I'll talk about originally how I viewed it and what I'm starting to understand now for each of those items, from the belt to the breastplate and so on. So let's start from the beginning. The belt of truth pulls all the pieces of the armor together. So it's the most, one of the most vital pieces of, of armor because it allows the sword breastplate, everything, mobility, it allows a soldier to stand. There's one way to look at it is truth. I must have truth. I must be a man of integrity at all times. If I tell any single, if I'm untrue in any way, there's a crack in my armor, puts the condemnation on me. If I'm false in any way, I fall apart. That's how I used to look at it. But if I look at it that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and all who come to the Father come through him, then there's a way that I can understand he's the gateway. For, for me to even start applying any of this, it starts with the truth that Jesus is the reason that I can enter this, that the veil between me and God is torn in two, not because of anything that I have achieved, but because of what God has made available through Jesus' sacrifice to me. 
That's life. The second, the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate shields the vital organs from, so you have your heart, your liver, your kidneys, whatnot. It shields vital organs from blows. Righteousness. One way to look at it. I must be pure. I must be righteous. I must cultivate a pure heart before God. If there's any sign of impurity or imperfection, there's a crack in my armor. Satan knows about that crack. He'll exploit it, take advantage of it, and I'll have access to my vulnerability. Pressure on me to be righteous. Pressure on me to be holy every day. Watch my every action and word. That's one way to look at it. Second way, I'm, not, I'm confident not in my own works of righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ by faith, not of works, as we just read, that no man may boast. The breastplate of righteousness protects us from the attack of the devil that says we're too dirty to come to God. How many times in my life, I mean, I've, I've, I've given my life to God four times. I got some points I'd say, Jesus, please forgive me for what I'm going to do. And then I'd keep quiet, not pray for a week so that I can sort my... I've been there. I've been in those spaces. I've been in spaces where I say, Ish, I've already done half of it. I might as well go all the way, you know. I might, I'm already dirty. I'm already as dirty as if everything had already happened. So what's to stop me from? I've already had the thought or I've already picked up, I don't know what, to start. I might as well. I'm already condemned. That's one way to look at it in yourself, in your own righteousness. But to understand that it is God and the righteousness that God makes available to us that protects our vital organs. That's just, to me, that's just amazing. And to think about the first interpretation, that's like a massive judo move that the devil would use. He uses your own weight against you. He, he delegates his work as the accuser of the brethren to you. Sort yourself out for the next couple of weeks. I'll go focus on ABCD. Righteousness of God, not my righteousness, Christ's righteousness. It protects my vital, vital organs. The third one, this is an interesting one. With feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Interpretation one, uh, no cooking clue. I will gospel of peace, readiness, feet, what's the point? I don't understand. Skip on to the next one. Interpretation two, the readiness. You know, there's a verse, uh, John 3, verse 8, it says, Jesus, now it's after he says, uh, um, um, he's speaking to the, the John 3.16. What's John 3.16 again? I can't remember it. 100%. So just after that, he says, or just before that, actually, he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. He's talking about the ability to lead us. It's like Philip, you know, uh, when Philip in Acts went to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. Does anyone know that story? God tells him, go and walk on this road. He finds the caravan. He hears the guy reading from Isaiah. He says, explains the story from there to Jesus. Guy gives his life. They baptize him. As they're coming out of the water, Philip is teleported to another city for another mission. God didn't say, okay, now you're going to walk three kilometers. You're going to see a caravan. You're going to break down the story for this guy. I'm going to, step by step, 
what's next? What's next? This is a verse that we live out on a daily basis with all the risks that we take to God. And it says the word is a lamp unto our feet. The lamp points, those kind of lamps would point just enough light for the next step. It's not like a, 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 a beam <laughs> or floodlight unto our feet. Just, it shows you what the next step is. So it just points to constantly ready, constantly hearing, God, what are you doing now? Where are we? Almost like those like polling algorithms, like if anyone writes code, with every cycle, it's checking a certain condition and then making a decision. Again with us, with every cycle, with every decision, with every waking step, checking and then making a decision. Then to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now this was a big one. Because I also come out of the prosperity gospel. If you're sick, brah, what's wrong with your faith? So it was a very condemning verse. I must have faith. When the devil attacks my health, wealth, or family, if I have enough faith, I'll cause him to return sevenfold what he's tried to take from me. Everything becomes about me. Everything becomes about what I can manipulate out of the word. God becomes a genie, effectively. Because if I can work the word a certain way, rub the lamp three times, he's going to grant me what I wish. Again, self-centered, about me. The second interpretation, God's actually not, uh, the devil's not actually after my health. He's not actually after my wealth. He's not actually after my family. He's learned the hard way. He attacked Job, and he suffered because of, he took Job's wealth. He took Job's health. He took, he's taken Jesus' life. The devil has suffered hectically for all of those. He's not after those things. His number one focus is our relationship with God. Like Adam in the garden, Eve, did God really say? What's he trying to do? He's trying to tear you away from God. And like military strategy, it takes place in wartime when things are hard and in peacetime when things are good. David was very comfortable when he was chilling on his roof, sent his guys out to for war. So Bathsheba, he was chilling. Look at how that affected him. You can think just practically. Because I know when I'm making bad decisions, I will block God out of my head. Now you can just imagine from the time he decided I'm going to bring her here just to have a conversation. He wasn't talking to God. From the time he decided, hey, things are rough, she's pregnant. He wasn't talking to God. From the time he decided, bring a husband, let him come home, what, 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 to put him on the front lines, let him die. He wasn't talking to God. That's what the devil's after. He's after our relationship, and it's not about what we can get out of God. It's about that intimacy with God. That is the number one focus that the devil is attacking. So if the devil's not after that, then cultivating the relationship that says, I will trust God, like Job said, though he slay me, I don't understand. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's what that shield of faith is. It says, and after you have done everything to stand. That means you've prayed. That means you've fasted. That means you don't understand. You've done every logical thing. You've asked for advice. After you've done everything, stand. In that trust that says, I know my God.
Then the helmet of salvation. This is an important one because I didn't really actually pay a lot of attention to it. The helmet of salvation is, oh, I'm saved. I said the sinner's prayer. I know Jesus. Don't really pay attention to it. But this is actually a big focus and has been a big focus. The gospel of salvation. So that the first interpretation is not really clear in my mind. It wasn't really clear. I know Jesus. Uh, it's not such a big issue to me. I've said the sinner's prayer. What's the helmet of salvation? Maybe it means I must be saved. But the second interpretation is that the gospel of salvation must be securely placed in our minds. Your head is your most vital organ. You can survive a blow to your upper body. If someone strikes your head, you're gone. So the gospel of salvation, securely placed in our minds, allows us to discern between false doctrine and spiritual truth and protects us from spiritually fatal blows. This is important. It's something that the, de the, the devil has fought from the beginning. When Paul confronted Peter because they were bringing into grace legalism, when they were talking about circumcision, when they were talking about separating the Gentiles from the Jews, even though we're all saved by Jesus, that is a doctrine, a false doctrine creeping in to twist and distort. That's the head you're cutting off there. I mean, we see it today, it's rife. The, the kind of issues that we're seeing in church from Brighton Moyo uh, to all these fake things that, that, that are happening, it's, that's, this is the source where people are now going not to meet Jesus, but to have some kind of spiritual experience that has just become so far removed from God that it's no longer relevant. That's the head. Having the word of God, the gospel of salvation, clearly placed in our minds. That allows us to sift from false doctrine and spiritual, spiritual truth, protecting us. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, similar to faith in, in, in the way I interpreted it. Interpretation one, if I read and meditate of, on the Word of God, if I speak it enough, if I name and claim, it will eventually be mine. I'll turn up the faith to achieve anything. All about me, all about me manipulating the word to get what I want out of the genie that I make God to be. Interpretation two, if I read and meditate on the word of God, it increases my ability to trust him and his purposes in my life. You know, there's a verse in Philippians 4 verse 10. It's talking, we always quote the end of it where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And, and I, that's really, I, I used to take that meaning, I can achieve all things, I can receive all things, I can be all things, like the military. But what he's actually saying in context, he's talking about the rejoicing um, for the concern that the Philippians had for him. He's saying, indeed, you are concerned, but had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in all and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ. He gives me strength. That is saying that his relationship with God is at the point that nothing phases him. If things are hard, I know there's a bigger purpose. 
Whatever I'm going through, God, I know you have a plan and a purpose. I know that you're working out your will in all of this. It becomes about the intimacy, and that's the core, the intimacy with God, the day-to-day walking with God. That's what the devil is after, and that's what this armor is to protect. From the belt of truth, Jesus is my gateway into any of this, into all of this, holding it all together. Breastplate of righteousness, Jesus is my righteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Where you lead, I will follow you. I will pull. What are you saying today? I know you said that yesterday. Is there a new word today? Where are you taking me, God? Here I am. Use me. Helmet of salvation. What is the sound doctrine that our salvation is based on? What are we filtering? What are we judging? And making sure that we stay true to our relationship with God. And finally, the sword of the Spirit. Medit- that's the only offensive weapon. And it's interesting because it reinforces it. It's offensive because it builds the one thing that the devil is trying to attack. Your faith and your trust in God. Yeah, that's it. Go. I'm done. <laughs> that wasn't the most gracious ending. But I, will say. I was expecting him to break out into song, man. Come on. I love this today. You're going to pray for us. But Paul speaks about that. He presents all of that. And then he prays this which almost catches you off guard because he's teaching us, he's showing us. And then he says this, Ephesians people, he says, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. You almost think the guy who puts this all down on paper, the guy who has this amount of revelation has got it. But I love his humility. I love the humility to say, actually, I know all this stuff, but every day it's a walk. Every situation is an opportunity to walk this out. Every opportunity, pray with me. So I may fearlessly, fearlessly. What do you do fearlessly in your life? I think in all of us, there's a measure of fear, a potential fear, something fear the enemy wants to bring in. And God says, actually, I'm going to teach you. But then even the man I'm going to use to bring these scriptures to you, he needs he, he needs strength. He needs courage because the gospel is a mystery to be brought to a world that's desperately seeking truth. Can we stand together? Just so amazed. Whenever someone preaches, whether it's a world-renowned preacher or someone preaching for the first time since 2003, one, for me, there are many facets. There's the man, there's the method, and, and, and there's the message. Tonight's a beautiful message, a challenging message, a growing message. The method, gracious and confident and courageous and strong and with authority. But there's also the man. And just, I just want to honor this amazing couple in our community. I, I know it actually has been a journey for you. I could see it sometimes when you would sit there and, and even when um, uh, We've sat with friends and we've spoken about stepping to this church versus your previous church experience and how sometimes that is a challenge, even the cultural realities and differences. 
And I really do want to honor you. And actually, the men you have to journey that I know that I have a very limited, I've been in two churches in my life. One, Glenridge, 20 years, and this church. I have a very narrow experience of different church. And yet I know that our presentation is something of a specific view. And, and not a specific view, but a, but a context, whatever. And I want to thank you for journeying those journeys. And actually in your journeying those journeys with courage and strength, you've led us. And every time you've stepped into here to lead worship, you lead us with courage and strength. And I see Bunty coming and, and he says, come on. And I look around and I see people of every age group and every culture and every background and every church background go, that man loves Jesus. I'll follow him. And I want you to pray for us because it is the message, but it's also the myth and it's also the man. And, and pray for us. Pray God's best over these people. Pray like Paul prayed for this amazing Ephesians church with courage for us as you send them out tonight. Let's just raise our hands. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord God. Thank you for the opportunity that it is to gather together here in freedom, Lord God. Thank you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace in every time of need, Lord God, just even to, to fellowship with you, even just to, to kneel before you, Lord God, and to know you. Thank you for the opportunity that it is. Lord God, we just submit each and every one of us here to you in Jesus' name. You see the challenges where they are. You see every bit of pain. You see every bit of stress or every bit of fear. Lord, we just give that to you in Jesus' name. God, we trust you. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that your love and your mercy endure forever. Thank you that we may not understand exactly now, but you're with us, Lord God. You are with us and you're working out your purpose through our lives. Thank you for the grace that it is that you take our simple lives and you use them to have a ripple effect through all of eternity, Lord God. God, just have your way. Lord, we pray that you'd bless us and keep us, that you cause your face to shine upon us, and that you give us peace, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray.